Welcome to the At The Coalface podcast with your host, Jason Greenwood. This podcast is all about what it's really like in the trenches of digital and e-commerce. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the At The Coalface podcast with me, Jason Greenwood, your host. It's my pleasure to welcome Rick West from Field Agent to the podcast. Welcome, Rick. Jason, man, it is uh, a great honor to be on your podcast. I look forward to our conversation. As do I. Now, what's cool about your technology is is it really automates something that I like to call secret shopper. Right. And I guess a lot of people and a lot of brands have tried to do the secret shopper thing for a very long time. And at least as far as from what I can tell, I haven't used your platform before. However, from what I can tell from reading on your website, and also reading from your LinkedIn profile, it really feels like you've effectively turned the concept of a secret shopper into a mobile app. You also have your secret shoppers, your network of secret shoppers, which you call field agents, which effectively sign up to be secret shoppers to your platform. And then brands can mobilize those shoppers via your app. And then your app collects the data that they collect when they are act, acting as secret shoppers and then presents that back to you in a really analytical way with visual analytics through the app in real time. Do I understand the platform correctly? I think we can end the podcast now. You did a great job explaining what we do. <laughs> and it, it, see, it's really cool because your platform enables the capture of photographs, video, data, insights, reviews, and also if they're actually doing a product trial, if they need to actually use the product, then, they, then the field agents can give feedback on products directly back into the mobile app, as well as repurchasing information all through the one singular interface. So effectively, you provide the plumbing between the secret shoppers and the brands themselves. For decades, generations, mystery shopping was fairly straightforward. You would hire someone, you would train them. They would go to a brick and mortar location. They would go to a restaurant, go to a facility, whatever it may be. And they would, you know, engage and they would score things on a score of one to 10. How did, how did, what did you do? And, but again, but, but pretty rigid requirements and, and specifics from a mystery shopping perspective. We came into that and flipped it upside down by saying, gosh, instead of bringing in a professional, what if we brought in everyday people and we had them capture data, quantitative and qualitative, yes and no questions, as well as their opinion, include with that photos and video to create a really interesting mystery shopping experience for the user, but more importantly, for the client that hired us to go do that work. And I, and I often tell people here, here's a really simple example of that that should ring true. You have a professional, they're going in, and let's say for the sake of arguing, they're going to rate the cleanliness of a restroom. You're in a, a Walgreens, a Walmart, stop and shop, whatever, a restaurant or shopping location you may go to the restroom, and they score cleanliness on a scale of one to 10. And they said, yes, based on this X point checklist, I gave them an eight on this, a nine on that, so it passed all the inspection. And we come in and say, what if I sent in a mother of two, the mother of two goes in and we ask her opinion of whether or not she would actually put her baby on the changing table and what she thought the cleanliness was. And the mother comes out and she gave everything a four and a five. So our question back to that client that would hire us is that I know on a scale of one to 10, based on this attribute, you think you're doing great, but your core shopper who we sent in thinks you're failing. Which mystery shopping piece of data, which shopping, Mr. Shopping product would you decide to purchase? They're like, oh my gosh, Rick, I think I need to go with you guys because you have true insights 
and experience coming from our core shopper as opposed to a trained professional. And listen, get me wrong, Jason, there's a role for both. Our point is, in most cases, you'd rather have your core shopper telling you the truth as opposed to a trained professional. And I guess a trained professional at the end of the day is almost to a degree potentially wanting to keep the brand happy and make the brand happy. So they don't want to, there's this competing agenda here, right? You don't want to score them ones and twos and threes, even if you think that they maybe are worthy of a one or a two or a three, because you want to continue to get their business. So maybe you inflate those figures a little bit, maybe pad them a little bit. So instead of giving them twos and threes, you give them fours, fives, and sixes, but maybe you don't give them tens. So I think that you're right. I think that there's room for professionals because there's certain things that they'll look at through a professional lens that maybe your average target shopper may not see or may not recognize. But then again, because the secret shopper is truly secret, and I guess there's no agenda of them being hired back to do this professional job, really, it's just an an app. It's almost like Uber for secret shoppers. And so when we think of it that way, We think there's no agenda. This is very honest. This is very truthful feedback. And really all you're doing is you're acting almost like a marketplace for secret shoppers to facilitate brands being able to connect to those secret shoppers. And that's very true. So so you touched on a couple of things that are really important. So there is the industry of mystery shoppers. Listen, they're doing a great job. They're doing exactly what they've been paid to do. But but if you talk to the, the folks in a quick serve restaurant, as an example, they'll say, we know what car the mystery shopper drives. She's been coming in here once a month for the last three years. And as soon as she shows up, I call all my friends and then my partner restaurants and let them know, make sure you clean up because Sally's showing up today. So there's that aspect of it. Gosh, this is the person coming in my case, who knows who you're sending in. I think the other piece is that, and we've seen this on receipts when you you finish at a register and they say, make sure you rate us today. And you know, if you give me a five, I might keep my job. But if you don't give me something lower, it'd be really sad for me. So what are you going to do? Give them a two? So there's all those games that people play. But you mentioned the marketplace, which is really important in our world, is that there's also that aspect of the on-demand or near real-time. So there are mystery shopping firms that you're going to come in, you're going to contract them out to do X number of locations over a period of time. And obviously we can do that. But there's some of your listeners out there that are saying, gosh, Rick, I've got 50 locations or 20 locations and 90% are doing great. I only need to check on three or four and you can log into our marketplace which is a B2B you know, retail marketplace that provides solutions. You can log right into our mystery shopping or ratings and review or whatever product you want to check. And you can do as few as one location to 10 locations to a thousand locations. And it really is just like B2C e-commerce. You can click, go to cart, swipe a credit card. It's the best $8.95 you've ever spent in front of you. So the marketplace allows us to bring best in class service, best in class products to the masses without doing a bunch of phone calls and interviews and sales reps trying to sell you on a big program that you don't need. So that's another way that we've just disrupted this retail solution marketplace that we're in today. The other thing that I think is cool is, as you pointed out, I think with traditional mystery shopping and secret shopping, I've actually seen mystery shoppers in specific retail locations and they have their sort of piece of paper out and you can see them looking around and walking around and then getting their pen out and maybe writing something down on a piece of paper. And it's pretty obvious what they're doing most of the time that I've seen this. And I obviously right. I hundred percent sure. Maybe they're writing something down and just comparing prices or something like that. But to me, it always felt reasonably obvious when someone was doing a, a secret shopping mission. And I feel like because you're a mobile app and because they're actually recording their a- answers directly on their mobile device in 
your app, it's just like somebody's in the store using their mobile phone, which every customer uses every single day. And they're, they're on the, they're on their phone with their friends. They're taking photos. They're sending them to their friends and saying, Hey, do you like this outfit on me? So it's totally within the realms of expectation that customers would be on their phone in a particular store, in a particular retail location. And that helps to further cloak the experience because instead of having a piece of paper out where they're going through a checklist, they're actually just doing it on their mobile phone, right? Jason, you're exactly right. And so what happens with that is the way we crowdsource this work is that no one's going to travel across town to do a X dollar mystery shop because it's just too expensive to do that. However, while you're out shopping, while you're on your way to work, you can make another five, 10, 15, $20 by stopping at a location to do some mystery shopping, capture some photos, to answer a few questions. And so because of that, you're getting this near real-time effect while people are out and about and you get the randomization so a person that saw you this week is going to be a completely different person next week so the mobile phone kind of hides your point close to end you could do it at any given time day or night there's no qualification saying oh we only do this between eight and five we literally have uh, done some mystery shopping and captured data inside of stores at two and three o'clock in the morning because that's when our clients wanted it so the 24 7 nature of the lives we live and the way we engage retail and the fact we're carrying that little handheld computer called a phone in our hand allows us to do the work that we do. Amazing stuff. Now, how do you handle Now, I know in, in traditional mystery shopping environments, they prescribe almost like a brief. They give it to the mystery because it's oftentimes it's a mystery shopping company that a brand will engage and they've got their roster of people and they'll give the company a brief and then they'll send that brief out to all the mystery shoppers via email or whatever that they'll have to print off and with the questions and the checklist and all that sort of stuff. But they also have to deal with things like how do we reimburse the costs for these mystery shoppers? So if they buy a $20 shirt at a fashion store, then obviously they've got to submit their receipt back to the mystery shopping company who gives it to the client and then the client reimburses them and then they reimburse the mystery shoppers. And this can take, this could take 30, 60, 90 days for this whole cycle to go through. How do you guys handle a scenario where Obviously, these mystery shoppers typically may want to be reimbursed uh, for the money that they spend to do this mystery shopping exercise. How do you, do you offer the opportunity to handle that all through the app? We do. And that's the beauty of it is that in 2010, when we first launched this, Jason, we were the very first app in iTunes to pay cash. At that time, it was you could get a badge, you could be the, the mayor of Sydney, and you could use all kinds of different points you could get. And we came in with cold, hard cash. And listen, you do the work for us. And based on the type of work, some sometimes it'll take us 48 hours to QC something to check various things. Sometimes it may take a little bit longer. In some cases, it's the same day, but within a short period of time, call it 48 hours, maybe even less, you'll have the cash directly directly into your app. And then you can leave the cash in the app or you could click a button, have it go directly into your checking account. So within a day or so, sometimes the same day, you're getting paid for exactly what you do. And the, the reimbursement for products are the same way. We've had agents for us that we've purchased items that were as much as $400 and they purchase the items, they submit the receipt in the app. Everything is scanned and QC'd. Uh, and with a matter of 24, 48 hours, they've got the cash coming right back to them. So by the time it floated on their credit card, they've already got money in their account to pay for it. Wow. So they get to keep the goods. They get to provide the feedback and the data to the brand, the merchant, and they get paid for the shopping exercise and they get free goods. It feels like it's almost too good to be true. It is too good to be true. And watch out. There are scams out there that would say, hey, I work for field agent and will you do X? Remember, we do everything in our app. It's not too good to be true in the app, uh, but there are other folks that may not be as, as nice and straightforward as we are. So you got to be careful, but it really is that straightforward, Jason. It's letting people provide information in the areas and 
and doing the things that they do while they're shopping, while they're experiencing something. What also happens for our clients is that you're capturing things in near real time. And most mystery shopping, most data collection, you might collect data over 30 days and you get this lump report. I'm giving you data back in near real time. So if you wanted me to go to a thousand McDonald's as an example, if I did 200 today and 200 tonight and 300 in the morning, in near real time, as soon as that data is completed, it's coming right into your dashboard. So if you had an emergency and you're trying to understand what's going on in markets, you're trying to understand in near real time, or if you're at a small restaurant and you're saying, I'd like to have some mystery shopping done today at lunch, at three o'clock when you do your team meeting, you'll have near real time data coming back from five people that shopped at your restaurant today at lunch, and you're reviewing with that particular server what they did, what they did wrong, giving them immediate feedback. So it can be that quick and that powerful, which is really interesting as we engage our clients to saying, gosh, that's almost too fast for me to even be able to digest it, which is pretty cool to see. It certainly is. Now, you're obviously based in Arkansas, mm -hmm. and I'm guessing that you're very North American-centric at the moment. You've been in business for nearly 12 years now. What regions do you target? Do you only work within, and do you have a network of field agents primarily in the United States, or is this something that is now a global enterprise, or are you looking to take it global over the next couple of years? Yeah. So Jason, do you know anyone that might live in Australia or New Zealand? <laughs> Just a few. Just a few. We've been in Australia now for about eight years, as well as New Zealand. We're in seven other countries. Again, think of North America, Canada, United States, and Mexico, because we have clients that are trying to understand that region. Uh, we're in the UK, South Africa, and some surrounding countries that border up to South Africa, South America. So we're out and about. Now, we're not in a couple of the big places that you'd expect us to be. We're not in China. We're not in India. And it has a whole number of issues that, that front it. I used to live in Asia for a while, and it's just a, a big, huge elephant to swallow, if you will. But we're in a handful of countries where clients want to see us, and we do the franchise model. So if someone was interested in, from a marketing standpoint, to roll up field agent, we control the branded technology. We would bring that in. They would provide the uh, staffing operations and sales. We put the two together, and, and within no time, you're launching in a country. But in most cases, uh, we're following our clients in the markets where they really have an interest in, in using our, our technology. Makes sense. And how do you, that, that was actually going to be my next question anyway. So nice segue on your part. How do you guys recruit field agents? Obviously you had to seed the market. When you first started up, you had to go out and do your own marketing and you, you had to sign up a roster of field agents. I'm guessing you probably started in, in Arkansas and then just spread from there. How do you guys go about your recruiting of field agents in the first place? And then obviously when you go into new regions, that's you're up to your partners that you may partner with as your partners in those specific new countries and regions, and that becomes their responsibility as a franchisee. But how do you guys go out and recruit field agents? Do you do effectively Google ads and say, hey, become yeah. a secret shopper today or something like that? How do you go out and actually recruit field agents? And, again, and, and what city are you based in again, Jason? I should know this. I'm based in Auckland, New Zealand. Auckland, okay. There's a, the partner that we have in your part of the world is called the Realize Group. The Realize Group was a mystery shopping group, and they wanted to use this technology to do crowdsourcing. And the very first question they asked was, gosh, Rick, her name is Kate Gorman. She said, gosh, Rick, how are we going to recruit all these agents? What, what does it look like? And I said, listen, all you've got to do is to put the app in the app store and to push out just a little bit of social media that says, would you like to make money with your iPhone? And you'll have more agents than what to do. 
do with. And so case in point, in the United States, we get anywhere from four to 5,000 organic downloads a week without raising a finger because people are always trying to find new and unique ways to make money. And if you would Google that today and said, hey, how do I make money with your iPhone? My iPhone, based on the part of the world that you're in, you'll see field agent being number one or number two, the most trusted ways that you can make extra cash using your iPhone. So we really don't face that. Now, that being said, there are, I'm in Auckland now and I'm trying to figure things out and maybe I need to have a push for a certain demographic. There are times that we'll do Facebook ads or do a referral program that's been really successful for us. So people like you, they're already doing things for us. We said, listen, we're looking for a couple of more of your friends. And if you can refer someone, you'll make another $5 per person if they'll do X. And so that's primarily where we would spend money. But I'm telling you, Jason, 98% of the time, 99% is uh, purely organic. People hear about us and they want to make cash. And they're excited when they download the app and see within minutes they can make money. And so for your listeners, New Zealand, Australia, one of the countries I mentioned, while they're on the podcast, while they're listening to us, they can download the app. And I'm one of the few people that's ever been on your podcast that can actually pay your listeners money while they're listening to us on this podcast. Amazing stuff. And obviously with COVID, when we think about the impact to physical retail and physical retail getting absolutely hammered with stay-in-place orders in the United States and what we call lockdown orders in Australia and New Zealand, that had a dramatic impact on physical retail. Now, how do you guys fare in terms of secret shopping on e-commerce websites? Do you guys facilitate that experience as well, or is it exclusively physical, and how was your business impacted because of COVID? Yeah, a couple of things. Obviously, with the first few weeks, everyone was panicking, staying indoors. So obviously there's an issue, but if you think about our business model, remember, I'm not asking you, Jason, me, Rick, or your listeners to drive cross town to go do anything. I'm simply saying, while you're shopping, would you like to earn some extra money? So within a few weeks, once people realized that it was safe and here's how we could be safe, once the, the stores, the grocery stores opened back up, we had everyday people shopping. And so our clients came to us and said, gosh, I used to use a third party and now they're not considered a company that's required and I'm not going to be able to hire them anymore. So do you think you can capture this information? Well, I'm sure it may take a little bit longer because people aren't shopping every single day. So maybe it takes three days to capture data versus three hours. But for the most part, Jason, we really didn't skip a beat during COVID because of that. Now, what changed for us on the e-commerce world, which is interesting, is that you can imagine while people were interested in e-commerce, there's also a part of the world that would say, yeah, but most of my volume comes from brick and mortar. I'll just deal with e-commerce. Then this thing called COVID happened. And there's three big buckets of work that, that came our way. That the first one is uh, really around online delivery. Whether you're doing online delivery or not, you were forced into it. And so we became an amazing tool for retailers to shop their own online delivery. With it, we captured video of the delivery inside of someone's home. We took pictures and we also did competitive intel for them. Hey, you're trying to figure out what your competitors are doing for online delivery. And we can go hit a couple of hundred locations this afternoon and tell you exactly what they're doing and how they're changing. So delivery is number one. Uh, the second one was is that you saw a surge of just simple pickup, the pickup process, how it worked. It's similar to going to a restaurant. How long did it take? Did you get what you were looking for? And so that was another way for us to really play an important role for retailers and quite frankly, brands trying to understand how their goods were being handled and delivered and processed for online delivery and pickup. And then finally for us, what we don't do is track keystrokes with cookies on a website. That's not who we are. That is not what we do. But what we do 
process and how we do capture things is that, again, we can have 100 people from 100 different area codes, zip code, postal codes. And when you go online, you're going to see different ads. You're going to see have different perspective when you log in. And we can have people capture that real time with their phone on video. We can have them answer questions while they engage online. Or you've got a certain demographic, and Jason, this, that says, what do you mean, MacBook? I just use my phone to do everything. We'll have them do a screen share and simply record everything they're doing while they've got their phone open and then simply send us that video and capture that information. So while we do e-commerce work, it's not keystroke. It really is shopping habits, shopping behavior. And COVID, if nothing else, exposed the opportunity to us. And so we've been really happy with the product we've delivered. Even to the, the case of we do a ton of ratings and reviews right now where we have people buy product and try it and they can tell us a story and we use that for research or marketing, or they can buy it and try it and do a five-star review. And so that's been pretty cool as well. And you can buy it, obviously, at e-commerce, deliver it to your home. You can do it pickup or you can buy it inside. So that's how we fared over COVID. And I guess you can also get feedback on the website experience. You don't have to track it. You don't have to have screen recording or anything like that. You can get your field agents to give the feedback on, hey, was the website easy to use? Could I find what I was actually looking for? Could I navigate the site easily? Was checkout easy? You know, did they have all the payment yes. methods I would I would normally like to use? So they can give that, I guess, that subjective level of feedback, just like they would give subjective level of feedback when they went into a physical store. They can give that same seat of the pants, genuine feedback from a web experience as well through the app. Yeah, and again, and what's unique about it is that I've got your core consumer doing this, and it's coming back to you, Jason, in near real time. So let's say that you went into your website and made some changes today and you contract out a third party and the third party says, yes, we're going to bring some people in. We're going to do a focus group. We're going to put this together. In a couple of weeks, we'll give you a report. You come to me and I said, listen, tomorrow morning when you come into the office, I'm going to have the data downloaded for you and you can know exactly what people think about the changes you made last night. Make changes again. Have them check again tonight, give you other feedback. And in a matter of a couple of days, uh, you can do some major A-B testing and have data right back in your hands all while you're still waiting on the other other company to collect the data. So the speed at which we do this work is really amazing because of this little thing called a smart. And it's amazing what people will do and how quickly they can provide information because they're not having to go to another location. They can simply capture data right there on the phone. You're paying them cash. It really is an interesting business model. It is amazing. And I guess the, the other benefit, there's just two benefits, particularly for website testing that leap to mind for me. One is being able to do the demographic and psychographic targeting that you want to do in terms of your tester. So if you're a, let's say you're a women's fashion brand, for example, you're not going to want to send out you know test requests to a bunch of, of men right that's not what you want to do you want to send it out to your target demographic let's say your target demographic is is females between the ages of 20 and 40 then obviously through your app because every field agent that signs up has to give you their details they've got to give you their date of birth they got to give you their gender i'm assuming they've got to give you their where they live they've got to give you their shopping habits i'm guessing that when someone signs up with you there's a whole bunch of information you gather from the field agent themselves so that you can match the right shoppers with the right brand yeah, we can, we capture basic demographic information. Then what happens is here's the beauty of uh, smartphone technology. And Jason, if you've ever had kids, you've had teenagers, and if you've ever you know talked to folks like teenagers, it's the classic way of using a smartphone to catch your teenager. They say, "Hey, Dad, I'm at house, and we're going to stay there for a little bit. I'll be home soon." And you say, "Great, take a selfie with mom." And you're like, well, "I didn't really mean I was there yet." Okay, take a selfie beside your car. Wow, it's it's amazing what you can capture, right? <laughs> you know, near real time information. And so what we do from a demographic standpoint, we'll say, hey, 
I'm looking for a certain demographic, and we know their 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 age, and we often do adult beverages. So we actually ask them to see their ID to confirm their age, but we've got basic demographics. And then we're saying, I'm looking for someone that's an organic shopper. Now, Jason, you and I both knows that when people fill out surveys and they capture information, you lie. At a minimum, you fib. Because you're trying to think, well, I really want to do this survey, get paid $10, so I'll answer the questions a certain way. In our world, you can't do that. Because what I'm going to make you do, Jason, to figure out if you're really an organic shopper, because you're going to say yes, because that's what you think you want, I want you to, to answer. I'm going to say, go into your home, and I want you to put on your kitchen countertop all the products that you consider organic and then list them, submit that. Then I come back and look at my client. My client says, listen... If they have organic this, organic this, and these four items, they're my core shopper. So now, Jason, I know within 100% certainty I have the right organic shopper as opposed to someone that simply answered the question, do you shop organic? So that's been really cool. Even people that are trying to do shifting and listen, I'm trying to find a L'Oreal user of cosmetics because I'd like them to look at my new CoverGirl products. And how do you find L'Oreal people? And I said, well, I'm going to have them take their cosmetics and put it beside of their kitchen sink, take a picture of it. I know they can't replicate the picture. And if they can prove to me they're L'Oreal, then they're going to qualify. And they're like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Because I really don't know when I do other surveys, if the screener is going to be right. So the power of that phone, photography, camera technology really allows us to get really tight with the demographics you're looking at, dem demographics you're looking for. Amazing stuff. And how did you come to be in this space? Now, I know that you come from a CPG background, Procter & Gamble for many years. You did come from a data and market research background as well, member of the board of directors for the Mobile Market Research Association, so heavily involved in mobile marketing. You've been a serial entrepreneur and investor for many years. And did you, because of this background, was that what prompted, were you scratching an itch and saying, hey, I'm going to combine my love of research, my love of CPG, my love of mobile tech, my love of entrepreneurship, and I'm going to take all these things, I'm going to bundle them all together, and I'm going to bring them all together in a seamless, easy-to-use app that bridges the gap between shoppers and brands. Is that kind of how this whole thing fleshed out or what was the genesis of the I wish I could say I was that intuitive and smart Jason it doesn't always work that way but as you if you if your listeners are entrepreneurs or, or they really would like to get into the entrepreneur space the way this came about for us is that we were running a shopper marketing and shopper research company my wife was running the shopper research company I had another couple of partners running shopper marketing we had a couple other LLCs and so it was pretty much a a boutique research and marketing business. It was a great business in front of us. We're here in Arkansas, about 30 minutes south of Walmart. So we were close to customer teams that were doing work. But what we started to find out, Jason, is that we were spending more and more time flying around, getting into locations, whether it's someone's home or a retail location to capture data. And the data was signage, what was happening for competition, what is new signage, what does a new store layout looks like? And somebody opened up a new store, What? how did the adjacencies come in? Or how were you storing this product inside of your home? And so we were sitting around a table with our new iPhone 3Ss. Now, Jason, that's back in the day, I call it the pre-selfie day. So no front-facing camera, no video, iPhone 3S had just come out and it had this amazing two megapixel camera, which was the Rage. And we're sitting around a table Googling, trying to find someone that was using a smartphone to take pictures inside of stores and no one was doing it. Waited another couple of months and said, there's gotta be somebody doing this now. And this was about two months into the app store opening up. No one was doing it. We said, we're gonna be like those guys that said they invented Instagram, but were just really too busy to do it. And they're gonna be at parties talking about how they were smart and did Instagram, but didn't have the time 
time to, to roll it out, but they could have done it. We're going to look like idiots if we don't do this. So while we're still running these five LLCs, two major companies, we started working nights and weekends again to create a solution for our marketing and research company. So we rolled out in April 2010. As I told you, real novel concept, first app that paid cash, first app to use metadata and geolocation to qualify photos and data. And after about six months, by the time we ended the, the end of the year, 2010, we realized this could actually scale. So we get rid of our marketing company, sold pieces, the research company underneath, put all that together and started driving uh, field agents. So the way you described coming to this idea really happened at about six months post the idea. But the idea was really taking a hunch based on a group of people saying, I wonder if we could do this, lowering our heads and getting it done and not being afraid to fail when it comes to technology. So we jumped on it and uh, the rest has been history. Wow, what an amazing tale of entrepreneurship. That is so cool. And how did you guys, when you first started, obviously you bootstrapped it from a financial perspective because you said you were funding this out of the other companies that you were already running. But how did you assemble? Because that was such early days in the app development world. How did you guys find the developers? Did you use contract developers? Did you hire full-time developers to work for you? How did you put all this together? Because I'm guessing at that point, because it was so nascent, in th there was this was a brave new world of smartphones. And the, the App Store was so young and everything else. How did you guys actually pull this together from a technical perspective in those really early days? You know, it was fun. We had our current CTO, which is a, a business partner of mine. I'm, I'm one of three co-founders with the business. And Henry Ho's a business co-founder and the technical guy co-founder, his name is Kelly Miller. And Kelly was doing, he had his own dev shop. And so he was actually putting together an online community for us. And so he was one of the people sitting around the table. And we said, you know, Kelly, we could probably try this. And he said, I've been wanting to create an app because the app store is just out. I'll spend the time trying to figure this out. And so we were scoping out the business side of it. Henry's a good strategy guy. We talked about the, the client side of it. And then Kelly came in from a technical standpoint and spent about six months learning on the fly how to make this thing work. Because to your point, it wasn't like I could call someone and have them develop something today. My goodness, you've got thousands of options to go create an app in, in the app store. And so that's how it got started. And then for your listeners from a tech perspective, when we were pitching this idea to clients saying, let us use this technology to capture data for you. In those days, if you're in the business world, Jason, everyone had a black. That was the phone you used. If you had an iPhone, you're one of the cool kids. But even within that, you had a whole industry that had maybe a personal flip phone. But then you had this business BlackBerry. Yes. And so I was, yes. I was, Jason, I was walking in and saying, okay, here's the phone. We're going to have them take a photo. And I said, wait a minute, before you say anything else, how are you going to teach them how to use the phone to take a picture? I said, it's their camera too. He said, yeah, but how are they going to know how to do that? So I'd explain that. I said, once they take the picture with their phone, Rick, can you tell me how they upload the photo to their computer so that they can send us the photo? And I said, the phone is actually a computer. And here's how, I said, how do you know where they are? How are, you, how are you, how do you know they're not where they shouldn't be? I said, well, there's this thing called GPS. And literally, Jason, I'm explaining to some of the smartest people in the world, multi-billion dollar companies, in a boardroom pitching this idea and they're trying to figure out how the iPhone works because they've never seen one. They've only seen it on TV. 
that was the early days. Well, I remember those early days because I did have a BlackBerry Pearl. And I tell you, it was it was called a smartphone, but it certainly wasn't very smart. And I can see why BlackBerry died uh, a pretty quick death in those early days and lost very quick market share to the likes of the iPhone because the usability just wasn't there, even for business users. And I consider myself very tech savvy. Even at that early stage, that cl- those clunky buttons, it just yeah. was yeah. not a really nice experience. And obviously the iPhone came along. It was a full screen touchscreen. It was blazing fast in comparison to anything else out there. Had a really mobile optimized browsing experience. And very rapidly within a year of release, it had some killer apps in the app store, not only for productivity, but for pleasure and entertainment. And I tell you that you pretty much just described the genesis of the smartphone and the the reason why it saw such rapid adoption after the introduction of the iPhone, particularly once the 3GS came out, that was really a game changer. And the adoption just went through the roof. And I can certainly see how apps like yours, it wasn't just yours, obviously, but there was many apps that came out at around that same time that became the killer apps of today. And what we're seeing is we're seeing that genesis and we would probably call your app now, if it was released today, we would call it a social shopping app. That's what we probably, we would probably re-term it and we would re-cloak it as a social shopping app. That's probably what, that's how it would be characterized today. So you guys were really quite groundbreaking in your thinking in those really early nascent days of the technology. And given that you were so early, how has the app evolved over the last decade? And what would you like the app to do that it doesn't do that say over the next 12 to 18 months you go, hey, we really like our app and we think it does some amazing stuff, but here's one, two, three extra modules we look, we're going to be looking to add that we think is just going to bring so much more value to the experience for our brands that work with us. Yeah, yeah. So, so a couple of things. One is, is you look at the the app itself and, and where we're driving things today. Obviously, we started out in this very basic take a photo, answer a question. Obviously, video changed the game because then we could you know actually bring in video and voice as well. You take things for granted, but in the early days, you couldn't do video or voice, and it was all just typing in information. So what we've seen evolve with the phone, uh, especially within our app, is that the user experience has increased dramatically, and primarily because of the way that we can do things on the app today. So instead of forcing you to answer this question, I can do a matrix and have you click on dots. Instead of making you type things in, it's much easier for you now to select things. Scanning technology is so easy now to simply scan a barcode or scan something very quickly, which saves a lot of time. So most of our time over the years has really been spent on the usability, the engagement. And then from that, every now and then you get a client request that says, do you think the phone will do this? Do you think they can capture X or why and it gets into to little technical things but you'll appreciate the the banter here jason is that you're trying to understand the size of signage okay signage and you've got retailer a hired us they've got 5,000 locations and they said listen we had local store managers request signage and i need to be able to send out a replacement and i don't know the exact size of signage so one you can measure it with a tape measure and put down the recording but there's also a way to put a credit card down and take a photo and the phone's smart enough to figure out the size of something because it knows the size of the credit card. So Jason, it's like little things. They're like, oh my gosh, well, that's great processing. It saves someone 15 minutes from having to do something because I just took a photo with a credit card beside of it. It's little things like that keep happening. And then 
I said, the, the one thing that we're all faced with, and it has less to do with the phone, but it's something that's going to have to continue to change because of the quality of photos and you get into image recognition and artificial intelligence. It's not like it's the easiest thing in the world to send a six, eight, 10 megapixel picture, especially when I've just asked you to take 10 of them. And so Wi-Fi connectivity, how do you take that photo, downsize it, but still keep the megapixels you need and the quality of data? I think that's going to be the next big change because even within video, you face this, you take the video and then 15 minutes later, you're still trying to figure out how to upload it somewhere. The phone is almost too good. And if you've looked at the iPhone uh, 13, the quality of photos are crazy. And, and then from image recognition, the fact you can actually zoom in and capture so much data, but I can't just ask someone to take 20 photos and upload it because 30 minutes later, they're still waiting on their phone to process data. So we've got to figure out the data processing side of things. And we've got some tricks. We've got some things that we've done to help make that a little that experience better. But I think we're all in the data world all going to have to figure that out. And I think another thing along the same lines as you look at the, the sheer processing power, oftentimes we have to bring photos and bring things back in to process and then come back and ask out additional questions. The phone is getting better and better and apps are getting more complex that allow us to do more processing in the app before we submit data. And because of that, instead of asking you question A or B, I could take a photo and then it prompts you for a question is also going to be game changing. And it's all about the quality of data, the megapixel that's in front of you and the processing speed on that phone. And they're all getting better and better. No doubt they are and, and totally makes sense. And obviously, if you're paying someone you know, 10 bucks for their shopping experience, something like that, and it takes 10 bucks worth of data <laughs> to get everything yeah. uploaded to you, then, then it's no net benefit to them. So I totally get that. And I'm guessing that there's some ways in which you can configuration in the app for the shopper where they say, hey, only upload when I'm on you know Wi-Fi as opposed to 3G, 4G. There's some rules that you can set around that in the app as well. Some of the other rules around compression and all that sort of stuff. So I'm sure that there's lots of opportunities there for you to cater and craft that experience to where it's fantastic for the brand, but it's also great for your actual field agents themselves. It sounds like you've got your hands full. And if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Is it best that they just go to fieldagent.net and check it out there? Because obviously you've got a lot of information on your website. You can create your field agent account both as a brand and as a shopper directly through that website. Or would you prefer that people get a hold of you directly via LinkedIn or some other way? How would you like people to find out more about field agent yeah a couple of things so if you're a, a person who makes some extra money with your your phone as much as i'd love to talk to you trust me jason i really don't want to talk to the ten thousand people that all want to talk about making money with their phone go to the app store download it within 30 seconds it's on your phone and you can stay, start making money in real time. You don't need to talk to anyone. If you're a client, you're saying, gosh, I'd like to use the technology to provide you know, mystery shopping, insights, audit information, marketing, sampling trial. You can simply go to fieldagent.net, click on the store. It takes you right to our marketplace. And within five minutes, you can be buying products that will give you real-time data back into your dashboard in a matter of hours. And for those folks that really want to chat with Rick, listen, you can go directly to the, to the website. But I think the easiest thing is just uh, DM me in uh, LinkedIn. I'm a pretty easy guy to find Rick, you know, Rick West at field agent direct message me there. Let's connect on LinkedIn. Let's see where things will go. Sounds fantastic. Now, final question for you before we, we wrap up our session together. And I really appreciate your time. How do you guys make money? So we charge by the drink. So you, Love it. 
So you're an individual, Jason. You said, listen, I've got a vacation home uh, in Sydney. It's across the water. They're complaining that the trash isn't getting picked up. And I'm really struggling as to whether or not they're cleaning up something or mowing the grass. And you go onto our uh, website and you click, I want to go audit, take a picture to see if the grass has been mowed across the pond in Sydney. You hit submit. We charge you 10 bucks for that. We keep a portion and we give the agent a portion. So if it's $10, the agent might make anywhere from three to seven of those dollars based on how complex it is. And we're going to keep the rest of the cash. And that's how we do business. It really is by the drink. And it's a percentage of, of what we charge you. So it's really, really straightforward. Does the cost to the brand vary depending on kind of what the task is or whether it's in person or online? Or are there different criteria? Are there pricing tiers for a given shopping task? Is that how you work it? Yeah, almost everything for and this is I'll talk U.S. pricing because and I'm, I'm all joking. I really don't know how much they're going to charge you in Australia. So I'll get in trouble with that. I, and, sure. and New Zealand, I'm going to get in trouble again. But in the U.S., the way this works, for the most part, if someone can answer a simple survey, answer something inside of their home, they're not traveling anywhere. They're just simply giving their opinion. It's going to cost a brand about four to five dollars for a completion. If you want someone to capture information while they're shopping, video, other things, it's going to be anywhere from eight dollars to fifteen dollars to capture that information. And obviously, if they're buying a product, you'd have product reimbursement, but it's really that straightforward. And other than that, there's no hidden cost. It really is straightforward. It's going to cost you three or four or five bucks over here or eight to fifteen dollars on the other side. You can do one location or ten thousand. It's really straightforward. Now, we have obviously have large clients that do weekly and monthly work with us, and we would love to come in and do custom pricing. And if one of your listeners are that big, call Rick and you'd be surprised how we could negotiate a price. But for the average person, click, click, credit card, you're done, move on, data's back in, you never miss a beat. That's amazing. And how does that compare? Because you obviously come from the physical environment where you were organizing these types of shopping sans app, where it was all manual. It was, it was a huge process. It was a long drawn out process. And there still are market research agencies that will do this work for you in a much more manual way. And they've got the roster of shoppers that they got and connect with. How do you compare price wise to those more manual processes? I'm guessing that you're more competitive on price because there's so much of this that's automated through the app. Yeah, it is. We're anywhere from 30 to 50 cents on the dollar. So if you are a person that's hiring a mystery shopping firm and you want them to hit a location, they're going to charge you 25 or $30 to do a mystery shop at the location. We're probably going to charge you 10 for the sake of arguing. If you're a brick and mortar person and you're trying to audit and get a photo taken, if you hire a third party, they're going to charge you by the hour. And it's going to be $30 an hour with probably a 30 minute minimum. So it's going to be $15 and they'll probably get that the next time they're in the store, which will be two to three weeks later. And we're going to to come in and do that for $8.95. We can about, about half price. So for the most part, we're about 50 cents or so on the dollar compared to brick and mortar. And when you get into online surveys, you can get junk surveys for you know a dollar or two. I often tell people, Jason, and you can you can use this line is that uh, we fix $3 haircuts. They get the $3 haircut, you walk in, your wife's like, ooh, that's that's rough. You need to get that fixed. So I'm not a $50 haircut, I'm an eight. I'm sure not a three. So I tell folks that, you know, sometimes it is too good to be true. So be careful what you buy. There is a cost of doing business in this world and we're going to be very fair in that. So that's kind of where we fall. Love it. You know, you've done the homework, you know, you've done the legwork, you were in the industry to begin with, you knew what it looked like both from a brand and a, and a merchant side, and then you jump ship and you know what it looks like to be a, a service provider and a marketer and someone working in the mobile space. And you brought it all together under this 
uh, amazing technology called Field Agent. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today, Rick. What would be your advice to any tech person out there or any marketer or any business person or entrepreneur who's looking at scratching an itch like this and saying, hey, look, we, we think there's a gap in the market. We think there's some blue ocean stuff going on here, but man, it feels pretty daunting. What would, you be, what would your advice be to them? I'm going to give you the best advice I received as an entrepreneur, which is two weeks in, it's Dr. Stephen Graves. So Steve Graves, a friend of mine, he said, listen, I, I'm gonna, I want you to write this down. So I'm, I'm all attentive. I've got my notebook out, right, Jason? I'm writing this down. So, okay, I'm ready for the wisdom. He said, you are only as good as you invoice and collect. And I said, okay. And he said, if you can't invoice and collect, you have an expensive hobby. I said, I get it. He said, so he said, if you're going down this path, Rick, and you want to start this entrepreneurial journey, ideas are a dime a dozen. You've got to find something that not your mom, not your friends, not your buddies, not your wife says a great idea. You've got to find someone that's willing to pay you money. And if you found the product or service where someone will pay you money and they're a stranger, you have a big idea. If you haven't, it's just an interesting hobby and you're just going to you know, do it for fun and waste your time and money. And I said, I get it. And I get it. And so I tell our team all the time, hey, I know that's a really interesting idea, but who's going to pay for it? I don't know, but it's a really cool feature. So why would you put the feature in? Well, it's just really, really cool. Like, well, who's going to pay us for it? No one. Well, why are we doing this? And so <laughs> you got to do it. You got to do it. You know, it's, it's either got to be a clear hobby or you're planning to get paid for this at some point and you got to have a strategy to getting paid. There you go. And if you're going to get paid to do this, that's when I tell people, don't do it halfway, quit your job tomorrow and lean in. If you're still playing in the hobby, man, don't quit your day job. <laughs> you need to stop. <laughs> but, but the thing about that, Jason, it's such a simple scenario. It's like, oh, but everyone says it's a great idea. Have you sold it to anyone? No. Well, then don't quit your day job. You're crazy, man. You, you, you've got to figure this thing out. And then once you get the first taste of someone giving you real money for something that you made or service you provide, Jason, there's nothing like it. You can't go back to your day job. You've got to go drive this thing. So that's my advice to folks. Don't jump off until you get it. But once you get it, jump off quickly because you're never going to regret it. Love the advice. Fantastic advice from a seasoned entrepreneur. Love, love it. Absolutely love what you guys are doing over at Field Agent. Thank you so much for spending the time with us today on the podcast, Rick. And I wish you absolutely every success with Field Agent and absolutely everybody down here listening in the ANZ region. Jump on fieldagent.net and sign up to become either a, a secret shopper, get the app, or if you're a brand that's looking to have some secret shoppers do some work for you to elevate your brand in the market and make sure that you are creating the experience that you think you are, go and check out fieldagent.net. Thank you so much, Rick, and look forward to chatting with you again soon. You bet. Jason, it was a pleasure. Take care. Thanks for listening to the At The Coalface podcast. If you want more At The Coalface, you can subscribe to our premium e-commerce and digital newsletter, At The Coalface Digest. 